0: Welcome to the Naffy Break podcast. I'm Dominic O'Sullivan and I served for 15 years in the Royal Air Force as a physical training instructor. I've decided to start this podcast for a number of reasons. First and foremost, was to shine a light on what I call some above average Joes, people that I know who've left the service and set up a second successful career. They've done some pretty amazing things. And in talking to these people, what what strikes me more than anything is that while they've come from a very organized and structured environment where they can see a very clear career path and development, they then had to transition into a a new environment somewhere. They've got to prove themselves all over again and they've got to try and find something which is both satisfying, rewarding and ultimately, in a lot of cases, pays the bills. I actually think that employers don't realise just what skills, adaptability, resilience some military people have to offer. More importantly, I sometimes question whether the people leaving the military truly appreciate what they've learned, what they've gained in experience during their time in. Every day's a school day, as they say, and none more so than when you're in the military. So in this first series of the podcast, I focus very much on the personal journey of those that I've spoken to. And what's really clear is there is no one way to transition from the military. And I've tried to capture that with the variety of guests that we've spoken to. I hope you enjoy the podcast. I hope you can glean some insights, possibly some inspiration, and also notice a little bit of that dark forces humor from time to time. I hope you enjoy. You can find the podcast on all the usual locations. Please share to friends, anybody that has a service connection or is interested in understanding a little bit more about our service personnel. Today I'd like to introduce you to John Reynolds. I first came across John through a mutual friend of mine that I used to play rugby with over 20 years ago and what struck me straight away about John's current situation is it seems a million miles away from what he did when he was in the British Army as a captain. I've been fascinated to find out his drive and his journey to what he's doing now and I hope by listening to it you'll see that what you did in the service isn't necessarily what you need to do outside. And broadening those horizons and thinking maybe slightly differently could be part of that transition process. I hope you enjoy. So I'd like to say hello to John Reynolds. Hi, Dominic. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, John. Thanks for joining us on the uh, on the pod today. Um, just as a little bit of a sidebar before we kick in, um we actually live quite close to each other, only, only probably 10 or 15 miles apart. And I've actually cycled past your old school this morning and uh, past, the, well, in fact, two of the schools that you went to. I think you were Hill House uh, School just outside Doncaster and Worksop College.
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, Hill House <laughs> wasn't there when I was at it 30 years ago. It was in the centre of Doncaster and <laughs>
0: uh, next to the old coal mine board building and the and the reason why I mention that is I always I, I tend to cycle past an old RAF base that I was stationed at RAF Finningley which is obviously where Hill House has moved out to but um it's amazing I think when we start talking with other veterans the the kind of tenuous connections that suddenly get uncovered and the the sort of common things that we we have and, and have shared uh, seem to come to the surface so um so fantastic right Let, let's let's cut straight into it John I, I'm kind of we hooked up via LinkedIn initially, and I was really intrigued and, and quite excited by the work that you're actually doing now. So, so rather than the traditional journey to what you're doing now, I kind of like the listeners to understand a little bit about what your what your time is uh, is spent doing at the moment, and what what you've developed and what you're trying to um, to break into the market with at the moment. John, tell me about Fish Bladder Games. Strange title. You've got to explain the title for it first oh, of all. You've got to, sp- you've got to uh, explain the name to us first.
1: Yeah. Um, well, if you look at gaming companies, you'll see some funny names uh, being thrown around. So I'm kind of ticking that box. But uh, from a branding point of view, I wanted to be able to say it was born for a reason. And the name actually comes from uh, our convergence of health and wellness and gaming. So the best, like, visual representation of that would be a venn diagram so as the two circles cross one another there's a space in the center where the overlapping bit is and in latin that's called vesica pisces or bladder of a fish and that's fish bladder games exists in the space where health and wellness and gaming converge so we're at concept at the minute and like seeking investment to get us um to prototype. Um, I like playing games, but I have no experience in the gaming industry. Um, I've moved over quite recently, 12 months ago from the fitness industry. I have been there 10 years. Um, I then found a huge disparity between what the fitness industry was attempting to do and say, and the messaging it was trying to get across and what the kids were actually listening to and picking up and therefore then doing. And I looked at my own two children and what and their friends and the level of engagement that you get from, you know, having them play computer games is unbelievable. I think somewhere in the region of 80% of all children play computer games, um, some of which in the UK are doing it for 10 hours
0: a week. Um, well. Wow. And, and I can hear parents, but, I can hear some parents in the background shouting now and hurling things at the screen. So they should be out kicking a ball around the street. But we yeah. are where we're where we are, aren't we? I mean, I'm I'm a parent myself. I've watched my kids grow up. My my son played, you know, sporadically on games. Funny enough, my girls never really got into it. But I, I it's interesting what you say there is we're we're kind of, you know, there are modern ways of engaging kids and getting them active, which you know to a lot of people they're not how they grew up so 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 tell us about what it is that that you're you're uh you're creating who kind of you know gamification and all those sorts of things kind of missed me really the, the first uh first computers were playing um atari um yeah. on, on a computer or bbc computer i never got into the gaming but I'm i'm kind of fascinated now how that's it's not just a gaming thing how there's a crossover into <clears throat> educational products and so on so tell us a little bit about what it is you you've actually created and what you're trying to do
1: so uh we're realists myself and my co-founder and you know we'd um you know my kids have got a garden to play in so they can be running around outside but like with increased levels of urbanization like globally there's more people living in high-rise blocks places where they can't go out and find suitable facilities to exercise or be physically active pollution street violence traffic so on and so forth these limiting factors that you know don't impose themselves upon probably us and the way we were brought up but they definitely do and they will do in the future kids are going to find it even more difficult to be active so you know how do we fix that well if they're spending loads of times on screens then let's try and exchange the sedentary screen time for active screen time. So that is what we're doing. We're creating a, a game. You can play on mobile, uh, beginning with children. So our primary audience to start with is going to be children and then adding um, the age groups as customer segments as we grow, but also an awareness of um, what you should be eating and what impact healthy eating has on you physically and mentally. And also what time you should be committing to looking after your mental health as well so we've got to be able to convert what they're doing on the screens and commit time to you know looking after yourself mentally as well and the idea is that we're creating a one stop go to place for all those things um starting with like I say for children and then
0: adding the age groups as we go You've obviously spent a lot of time in the fitness industry and 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 that industry probably doesn't realize that competition for the audience and for the people who are trying to be active is now actually going to come down the, the digital channels and, and down the gaming channels rather than just you know gyms competing with let's say swimming as an activity or cycling they're actually competing with with lots of different channels now so 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 what percentage of people do you think, I mean, you, you quoted something earlier on there, I think, the percentage of people who are actually playing games or using games kind of from a recreational point of view, where where do we stand with that? So
1: the volume, particularly after last year, is huge. Um, the, the figures say that so, somewhere around 20% of a kid's time is spent gaming. You know, that's a lot of their free time is spent engaging with something that, you know, is immersive and exciting and irresistible and all the all the good things that games are. So, how the question is: How do we, the fitness industry, w- can potentially activate the t- the twenty five percent who are attracted to that style? How do we activate the next set?
0: What comes across from you is obviously there's there's a passion and a drive from you to to get people active, and obviously, mm-hmm. focusing here on the the the, the childhood. The, uh, level of uh, of activity and building that that habit for them take us back a little bit and, and kind of when if you were you know back in your school days were you active as a child were you kind of really you know up and running around all day long has that always been a part of your dna yeah there was a
1: timetabled pe and physical activity but i didn't then carry that on you know out of school I mean, as a child, naturally, I was out, you know, I was was born in the early 80s. So I was out, you know, after school, muddy knees, riding bikes, throwing sticks into concrete trees. But the fact is you got home from school and you threw your uniform off and you went straight out and you spent four hours doing stuff, getting out of breath, crawling around. Yeah. And what I didn't know then, obviously, but I realize now is that all them things are physically pertinent to how you then behave and be as an adult
0: yeah um interesting
1: i mean go back to my teenage years early teens i was actually overweight i was a fat child and you know it took probably my experience my early days experience in the military to kind of like come around to the fact that oh you know i'm i'm physically capable here you know and then the things i've learned achieving doing these physical things are actually really transferable so my now physical confidence has like made me able to you know handle stress,
0: tackle that situation. Yeah, yeah let me just circle back a little bit there to to the, you talk about your early years in the military and and obviously we're talking to veterans of, of which you are. What what was the kind of stimulus for you to ju- to join the services? And I and I know you obviously it was the army. So
1: I was thought it was when I was fourteen. So when I'd gone to like secondary level school, I, the, we had a cadet force there and. You know, I joined that and I got inspired by, you know, what we were doing. You know, I loved, you know, the little exercises we did and, you know, this, that and the other. But I actually spoke to my my dad recently, um, within the last few months, about this. And he reckoned that I was 10 when I started really saying that I wanted to be in the army. Right. And as a 10-year-old, you know, I, can't, I can't remember much else from when I was 10, to be honest, so I, couldn't, I wouldn't have remembered that. But yeah, um, from 10, I'd obviously start talking about it, but I can remember quite clearly that by, by the age of 14, I, I had my sights set on joining the army. I wanted to be an officer.
0: And I wanted a maroon bearing wings. And you were quite clear uh, about that at that stage, that it was it was officer, it was, you know, one of the airborne regiments that you wanted to go into. Really clear on that? I felt as if I had some like a an ability
1: to lead others. And I I, I wanted to, you know, explore that and make make the
0: most of it. So something I've always wanted to to ask and understand really sandhurst. So mm. Worldwide reputation. I think anyone that hears the words sort of Sanders Military Academy, it's kind of the 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 best. What was it like going through officer training? How how did you how did you find that? Was that a, a real shock to the system when you got there, or you know how how did how did that uh, how did that go for you? Um, not necessarily a shock.
1: You know, every as the weeks ticked on throughout that training experience, I'd look back and say I've actually enjoyed this week and you know, even now ridiculously hard and arduous and, you know, I'd actually finished the week thinking, you know, it's fine. You know, I've made it a few bumps and scrapes, but it's actually you know, something that I've enjoyed applying myself to. And then even looking back now, I can say I've de- I have definitely enjoyed that time in the military. I- I've responded pretty well to the direct approach, let's say. And that's what you absolutely get when yeah. especially in the early first term when you're de- dealing with you know a, a color sergeant who you know is your sort of like your dad and your mom and your guardian all at the same time yeah um a, f- a very intense like learning period that's just
0: then so compared to when you decided to join you obviously felt you had some strengths and leadership you felt was one of those kind of innate skills you had what were the things that you you kind of felt look, I'm not very good at this or this is not something that I'm comfortable with that you found got developed and actually became comfortable and easier for you during your your kind of period through through Sanders and maybe into your early early career. Are there particular traits that you feel really were enhanced and developed? I think my ability to handle stress, that's one. It's a bit of a...
1: I don't know, I'm trying not to be negative here, but my experience in the military, I look back and there's, there's probably half I enjoyed and then the other half of complete BS that I didn't enjoy. It's the half, the BS half, which, you know, I kind of have an issue with. Um, You know, I wanted the chance to, you know, create great opportunities for my soldiers, you know, to make sure that, you know, their days were filled with something more engaging than just cleaning weapons and, you know, sweeping the parade square. Because of the, you know, the fast paced you know daily changing direction you know and the expectation of you know placed on you as an officer didn't give me the space to be able to do that, despite that my ability to handle stress um you know I'm very kind of laid back when it comes to things. You could probably say that I'm you know probably too laid back when it comes to risk
0: definitely. Where, where did it take you? Where were some of the significant kind of milestones within that, that military career that, that kind of stuck with you, that stick in your mind now as, you know, significant events, if you like? Definitely
1: my first 18 months of reckonable service. So finished Sandhurst, I went to Larkhill to do my young officer's training to, to then join the Royal Artillery. And it felt like seconds afterwards, I was down in Lid, doing the close observation platoon course at five weeks of hell, 4am fizz sessions, you know, and just getting completely melted for five weeks. But then, you know, that flash through and then deploying to Kosovo straight away um, for a six month tour out there. So straight in at the deep end, you know, there's a real baptism of a fire there and no, no, no room to breathe almost. Um, when we came back from tour, you know, everyone else went on leave, post-operational tour leave. I went straight onto pre-para and then onto P company. So, you know, out of, you know, my first, what was that now? He's talking like, yeah, I suppose 18 months. I had cop course, deployment to Kosovo, pre-para, parachute selection, three weeks off, jumps course. You know, so that was, you know, everything on the bounce, bang, 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 one after the other.
0: Would you look back on that now and, and say, you know, that adaptability or that, you know, those changing kind of circumstances around you, everything's happening really fast paced. Has that made you comfortable in those situations now? I mean, obviously now we're talking about being, you know, an entrepreneur, a kind of business business owner yourself where that can be, you know, very challenging and things can move really quickly. Do you think that was a, without realising, do you think that was a really good grounding for obviously things that you you do now?
1: Yeah, but not the only method of being an entrepreneur. Sure. The danger is if you are in a fast, if you use the fast pace and, you know, that is your experience in a, you know, daily changing scenario, um, you can't run a business like that. Surely, you know when things are going wrong, and you can react, and that is a great skill to be able to have. And this horrible term that's been moving around, you know, industry now is pivoting. So, ah, you know, quickly pivot <laughs> your business to react yeah. to whatever's going on. But for that not to be the overarching method in way that you run your company, um because you have to be methodical, you know, in your planning and your execution and then leave the reactive, you know, effectively, you know, being really, rea- really good under pressure and faster react. You leave that for when you absolutely need it, as opposed to letting you, letting it drive the way you exist on a day-to-day basis.
0: When you left the military, you know, the, the next step that you took on coming out what what were you looking? Did you know what you wanted to do so
1: the day I joined the army um I almost committed myself to serving until I was thirty and it was you know I'll hit thirty and I'll see how I'm getting on um that's the end that I actually ended up resigning my commission um when I was twenty seven. And then I was 28 when I left. Um, And almost in and around the same time when I resigned was the time that I started planning what I was going to do next. Um, And I was actually in Afghanistan when I resigned my commission. So I had, um, you know, blueies. So I unfolded a bluey, nice blank bit of paper. And I just started, you know, throwing things down, um, ideas and concepts and, you know, what direction I'm going to go in. But even then, it was all about how am I going to get a load of civvies, which was my terminology then, yeah, to realise that they're more capable than perhaps they think and therefore be able to transfer and translate that confidence, that newfound confidence into what they do in their daily living. For me, that was boot camps it seems like a very obvious thing doesn't it leave the military launch a boot camp um my aspiration was to have a number of boot camps so launch one run that effectively launch you know a number of others after and that's what i planned out
0: but i suppose you're right you you could say you know leave the military you know swap swap the uniform for doing something else you know the fizz the 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 boot camp thing you could some people could say that that's a that's a simple and easy transition but it sounds like you were actually using that as a vehicle for more about developing people and helping them kind of be be better but you know be the best version of themselves rather than it just being about make you fitter exactly yeah yeah
1: and i know that um Confidence isn't about, you know, what your body's capable of. It's about what your mind can do. And I was acutely aware that you had to get the psychological elements of, you know, physical activity right. Not just the physical.
0: So so you've mentioned... In kind of being an entrepreneur, having your own business, you, you kind of need to be planned, you need to be structured. How, how did that business kind of evolve and, uh, and and how did you progress with that once you, once you had decided to leave and, and get that set up?
1: I actually took um, six months out when I left. I felt I needed that time just to, you know, have a breather and, you know, decompress from the military and... You know, I spent some time on, you know, planning out what I was going to do next, just refining what I'd already thought out. But I spent the six months kind of like spending the time just looking al- almost 100% after myself. Um, You know, I like to make, I was married by then. So, I would, you know, I was away. My wife stayed in Doncaster. She didn't move with me when we got married. So, you know, reconnect with her, you know, reconnect with my family because I've been away for, you know, effectively six years. And I spent the six months doing triathlons, you know, and just trying to, you know, clear my headspace really and just, you know, prepare myself for the next bit.
0: That's interesting that you said that you use the term decompress. And I know there's probably two schools of thought here because other people will say, you know, the ideal transition for them was, you know you hand your uniform in one day and you walk straight into a job the next day but of course that's a massive massive change in kind of environment and and the culture around those environments that you're you're moving between you've deliberately said let's just you know let's just have a bit of me time first and a bit of family time and do, do you feel that that's that's something that a lot of people overlook when they leave the service or yeah and that's fine i think if you go
1: into a role where you know you're swapping one uniform for the next so it might be a pinstripe suit or a firefighter's outfit or a police or whatever it is and i think because you are going from one structured environment to the next with just with a different uniform but a similar mindset of people or similar people you're mixing with then there might not be as as much of a necessity to kind of rewire yourself but I was moving back to my hometown where I didn't know anyone else. So there was no other military people I knew at that point where I was moving back to. And I knew I was going to have to start mixing with people who, you know, had left school at 18, potentially gone to university and then gone into the world of work, not joined the army. I couldn't just, you know, be who I was in the military yeah you know, to to the people who I was then going to be networking with and you know trying to basically win business from what um, what was the I've biggest
0: the, sorry what was the biggest adjustment you felt personally that you you had to make to to almost be kind of ready for the new environment what what is there a single thing you you'd pinpoint i mean i'm
1: scowling now even think about it just um how people regardless of whether it's for their own benefit still don't do it i found that really difficult so even with a six months off i went into business i threw myself into the local networking and i realized that well first thing was no one replied to your emails within 24 hours which kind of really gripped me (laughs) to start with (laughs) i had to relax about that but also if it if In a networking scenario, if 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 there was something you tried to help someone else with, and then they didn't do it, even though if it was for their direct benefit, that was the thing that kind of shocked me, and that's the thing that you know I had to really relax about. And just because they don't jump on stuff like you would do if you were, you know, a highly motivated, trained soldier.
0: Would you say you're more tolerant now, or a greater degree of empathy for the people that you you come into contact with in a in a in a business setting? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Well, mm-hmm. I've entered an industry where you know that 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 kind of level of efficiency efficiency doesn't doesn't exist. I've been networking recently online, and you know it's very relaxed. You know, which is quite welcome. I you know I've, I'm enjoying it. It's um it is a step change from even the fitness industry where it's, you know, run by executives, you know, this is very much, you know, very relaxed.
0: So, so I suppose if you, you know, if you were looking, looking for other people now who were thinking of coming out, some of these, some of these lessons, it it sound like the, you're not accepting lower standards, but the standards you hold and the way you work isn't necessarily how everybody else works and you if you're going to get really frustrated if you expect everybody to kind of you know jump to your every word so that, that adjustment that you've made there and that tolerance if you like seems seems like a really valuable lesson from from that change over
1: yeah and I think it's the sense of people you know you come come from back um out of the military you know everyone's recruited because of the style of person they are and then you turned into someone who the military can use effectively, you know, for those like 140,000 people in the military at any one time should be thinking similarly, you know, not exactly the same, but similarly, you know, you get, you leave the military and you, your friends and your family and the people you network with haven't been conditioned that way. Stuff still gets done. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. yeah it's just yeah. not like, you know, <laughs> You know, you're not frog marching people to the deadlines, you know, you know, (laughs) stuff still gets done, just not in that particular manner.
0: I can see this connection now between this desire to get people active, to kind of, you know, enthuse people, to make them feel better about themselves and and build their confidence. And obviously we're aiming at the, the children's activity for me, is 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 a fantastic start point because it starts to build lifelong habits and it it gets into their DNA. But what you're doing now isn't the first thing that you've done within the kind of um, the, the children's activity level, is it? And, and I know we spoke spoke previously. Tell us a little bit about the the other kind of um, solution that you produced uh,
1: a couple of years ago. Now, I myself and my business partner have started doing more consultancy work with the equipment companies creating solutions for other companies it was a bit of a coincidence we met with a a managing director of a um, an education company and we said well is there a you know is this how can we use what we're experienced in physical creating solutions you know helping them get to market and what kids in need and are looking for and the outcome of that was um if you get kids moving more in the moments before they learn then uh you can say that the information goes in easily easily and it, uh, the the information they get well, sorry the learning is absorbed better so why did not we create a thing where kids are active in the moments before they learn and we came up with uh, classroom movers short bursts of physical activity at the start of every lesson in order to focus the kid's attention back to the classroom but also enable them to um, have a better learning experience in the minutes afterwards
0: into how you describe it there and I kind of I have an image that comes up in my head going back many years when um, people on the shop floor in car production plants I think in Japan were doing the kind of five minute PT before they all started work you know kind of on mass a bit like the old uh, PT of the 1950s in 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 military then yeah. but but I think you know what what you're what you're describing there it, it it seems to me to be really really simple and yet why has no one thought of doing that before
1: there are other solutions on the market but they're all focused on dancing right and You can probably uh, fill in the gaps about where the problems lie with that. Um, But I wanted to say, well, what is the scientific reason why dancing is not the right thing as an intervention? And physiologically, dancing and waving your arms isn't pertinent to a five, six, seven, eight-year-old child. So let's create something which ticks that box for the kids it's fun and they want to follow it and then obviously because it's movement and physical activity you get the post-learning benefits I think I'd seen a um, I'd observed in the last few years about how the fitness industry had changed what traditionally may have happened is someone got qualified as a PT they started working at a gym and then You know, they became management and then executive, and then all of a sudden they're the MD of a chain. But then in the last five years, I started seeing um, the money rolling. So, you know, like private equity was buying clubs and then running them as, you know, corporate entities as opposed to, you know, gyms. Um, If they're the private equity firm are seeing fitness as the vehicle for making their money. Why can't I use something else as the vehicle to help people be more active? My experience developing classroom removers taught me that kids, you know, in fact, anyone, it doesn't have to be kids. Kids, they want to play a game. And I don't mean like you know sitting on a console and playing a game. I mean, if you make something a game, they'll engage with it. Yeah, you've, and you've unlocked something in them. Purely and simply, you play the game. So could I use another industry? Could I go to another industry and use that as a vehicle to um, get my, re- help me reach my goals? Yes, it's, it is possible.
0: John, I'm, I'm listening to you talk about, uh, you know, gamification and, a, and a, an industry which to most people who are in the services is a million miles away from what you did as a captain in the army um, and and it seems like a, a huge leap from where you were to what you do now. But when you talk about the pieces that join that together, that journey you've taken on, actually, they're really small steps. I just wonder if there are people in the service who are limited in terms of their their vision or aspirations for themselves because they're they're told they're really good at the job they do. So therefore, that's that's the that's the extent of their their ambitions if you like they're going to look for a job that's pretty much like that when they get out do you think that's do you, do you think that is a negative side of of maybe the transition process for people is that they're not not looking wide enough or maybe looking at different avenues for when they leave yeah potentially
1: oh it's a long time since i left 12 years now so you know the experience i had there may or may not have changed uh but definitely when i left in 2009 um you know i I think the expectation was that as an officer, I'd just be going into, you know, a managerial kind of executive C-suite start job in, you know, something like finance, for example, yeah. or management consultancy or something like that. Um, I think what you've got to remember as a service lever is that you've not only got a lot to give to an employer because of the, you know, the the structured background you've existed within and the commitment and the loyalty you can offer to an employer. But you've also got the ability to think for yourself and think on your feet. And if that is the thing that you want to pursue, then using them skills, you can go and do anything. You know, what is the thing that you're passionate about? You know, it could be anything. If it is being, you know, a builder, then go and pursue that. If it's being an artist, then go and do that and funny I say artist because a few of my friends now have left and they're doing artwork and one's being an author and you know you just you just wouldn't have perceived that as being like what officers did next
0: but it seems to be happening more mm, that's that's got to be a positive that the the individual is now front and center if you like rather than it's serving the serving the business or serving the the, the army they now mm. it sounds more like they're starting to serve themselves and, and pursue yeah. their own dreams and aspirations
1: and that's great because it'll change how we're, how we're
0: we as veterans are perceived as well the aim of this podcast is to shine a light on the veterans and a transition process and there there are some real very you know varied transition stories that we've heard yours is is for me is very unique in offering a piece of advice to somebody who was in your shoes was you know in the kind of job that you were doing in in the army and they were coming up towards you know last couple of years or, or thinking of leaving What's a what's a couple of bits of advice that you might want to pass on?
1: Start with the thing that you're passionate about. Do something that you what you would love to get out of bed for in the morning,
0: and that you wouldn't see as a chore. That's a great takeaway because I think the one you've said there is it doesn't feel like work. You're doing Mm. something that doesn't feel like work, and and uh, I think that's a that's a fantastic one. John, listen, thanks ever so much for your for your time and coming on the pod. I look forward to to tracking your, your progress and seeing fish bladder games up there with um with the other games on the uh, on the shelf. Yeah, I'd love that. Great. Thanks very much for your time, John.
1: Thanks, Dominic.